Well, good morning, everybody. Good to, good to see you. Um, wanted to thank again our choir and uh, musicians for leading us, for sharing, for praying, Todd sharing about generosity, Matthew 6. We're going to be getting into that a little more in just a minute. Uh, Jerry, in, as Sharon mentioned in her prayer, he and uh, Megan are in Florida today. He was at the Fellowship Community, which is a national Presbyterian group. They had a three-day conference this week in Florida. Then he met with some ZPCers who live in Florida down there or, or who are there for the winter, so that was nice, had lunch with them. And uh, so make sure you don't, even though he was at a conference, don't feel sorry for him because as it was snowing here yesterday, he was enjoying the sun uh, with Megan and will be, be back soon. We continue to study our True North series, Where We Want to Go with God, and this morning we're talking about single-mindedness. And so we're going to dive right in uh, with two passages uh, today, one from Jeremiah 29 and the other from Matthew 6. This is God's Word from the Old Testament, uh, from Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So that was from Jeremiah 29. Before we uh, uh, read the Matthew 6 passage, I, I wanted you to look at a picture. So as you probably remember, if you know me, I got to go to Israel last summer uh, on sabbatical, and this is a, a real picture from the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Beatitudes is the traditional site, a traditional hill or, or a small mountain where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. So this is an actual picture from there. It's not one that we took, but one that I found and one that I kind of like because it shows some of the grass and the, the lilies or the flowers in the field. So you might imagine uh, Jesus sitting up on a mountain like this or maybe even this one looking down to the Sea of Galilee as he was talking to his disciples and the crowds uh, gathered around. I think it's important that we look at Scripture in context, uh, both what it meant back then and then what it means for us now. So I want you to think about that picture as we read from Matthew 6. Let's do that now. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, 
add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we ask that you bless this day. We give it to you. And as we study and talk about your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So I talked about looking at the Scripture in context, and we look at that Jeremiah 29 passage. Most of you probably, if not all of you, know that verse 11. It's a famous verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. But what about the context as well? If you look back, and we read this verse, verse 10, it says the people of Israel are in exile in Babylon. So right now their plans aren't great. I mean, things aren't going that well. They're they're in a foreign country. Uh, probably a lot of their families or loved ones uh, didn't make it. And they're wanting, hoping to get back um, to their homeland, to the promised land, to Israel. And then God says, but I have a plan for you. This exile will end at the end of 70 years, a couple of generations, and you'll get to go home. I have good plans for you. But then there's something that the people are to do as well. It's not just one-sided. They're supposed to have a response, as we are too. Jeremiah says, and God says this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So single-mindedness is about seeking God first, as Matthew says, and seeking God with all our heart, as Jeremiah says. So the heart matters. The heart matters very much. Now, one of the six marks of a disciple that we share here at ZPC is having a heart for Christ alone. Now, I I will tell you, um, in everything I share this morning, things that I don't always get, these are also things I don't always get right, or things that I struggle with. And so, a heart for Christ alone, I'll share you maybe a little bit, uh, something funny of how we don't. Now, we're a family who really, we love the Colts. We love cheering for the Colts. I know a lot of you do because on Colts games, you're wearing uh, your Colts jerseys here on Sunday, which is, which is great. But there was a time when we pretty much worshiped the Colts. I just need to confess here, okay? And I will tell you because we haven't changed our basement. But during the Peyton Manning era, and we know kind of what, you know, what that was like, uh, we have a Peyton Manning uh, fathead in our basement. If you don't know what a fathead is, it's a life-size poster that will stick and stay on your wall. Now, we raised that up a little bit off the ground. So, so Peyton was already tall. Now he's about seven feet tall in our basement. We have our Colts lamp. We have the Tony Dungy signed football, and we have our walls painted blue. And it's all around the big screen TV so we could watch the Colts game. So, 
So there was a while, an era, and I would say that era is probably over now, where we had a heart for the Colts alone, okay? We just need the Sheltons would need to admit that. But what we want to know is we want to put our priorities in the right place. We want to have our hearts going more towards Christ, towards a heart for Christ alone. Now, Jesus knew as we get into the Matthew 6 passage that people struggled with their priorities. And Todd mentioned this as he talked about generosity, that people struggled with worshiping money, putting money first ahead of God. They struggled with worry over things like clothes and food. Now, even when we read this passage, Jesus is not saying some things. He is not saying you can't own your own property, you can't own your own house. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't save money for the future because he does say that elsewhere in the Bible. He's not saying don't have good clothes and good food. But he is saying these things. Don't love money more than God. Don't selfishly accumulate things in wealth. Instead, set up your treasure in heaven. And don't worry about things that will fade away. So we're to spend our time and our energy and our giftedness on good things, on God things. And I think it's refreshing even to read in the New Testament, you know, for us today, because I know these are things that I think about that Matthew's talking about here that I still struggle with today. And it's refreshing to hear that Jesus had to teach the people even on a hillside way back then some of the same things. I also find it's refreshing to hear that some of our church leaders even today think about such things. So we had an elders retreat. Jerry mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago on a Friday night and a Saturday. And as we were at retreat... On Saturday morning, we broke into two small groups to talk about various things, and one of the things my group got talking about was money. And we shared about that some of us worry about, as we talk in this passage about worry, we worry about paying our bills or saving money for college for our kids or putting money away for retirement. And I have to tell you, I was kind of relieved by that because I know I worry about those things too. I don't talk a lot about them. I'm talking about them with you today, but it was a little bit refreshing to hear that even some of our elders worry about those things as well. Now, thinking about it, paying bills, saving money for college and retirement, those are good things. Those are positive things. But if I obsess over them, if I focus on them, if I put so much of my energy towards them that it takes away from God, then that's not good. We, we need to put God first. So Jesus says here in Matthew 6, seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness and all these other things that he just talked about will be added to you. So what is God's kingdom like? It's loving God, it's loving others, it's putting others first, it's caring for people and creation, it's practicing things we talk about here in church, kindness and hospitality, generosity, helping those who are less than us, who are poor and who are hurting, using our gifts to honor God. We're supposed to seek those kind of things. And I was, I was studying this week. I read one uh, Christian author. He said, in order to do this, we need to divest in order to invest. Divest to invest. He said we need to divest ourselves of our desires for the world or our focus or maybe our obsession or our stress with the world and instead invest our desires, our gifts and abilities with God. I thought that was a good way to think about it. Seeking God, seeking God first can be freeing as well. It can free us up. When I think about it, 
I should love God because God first loved me. And because God loved me, I love my neighbor. And because God loved me first, I can seek God first. And so when I think about it in that sense of how God loved me so much, I want to seek him back. I want to respond to him with love, not only in my thoughts and my words, but in my actions. Um, those things can free me up. It can free me from trying to uh, compete with the world. It can free me up from wanting my kids who are all teenagers now and they're in those years where they're kind of achieving and growing and learning. It can free me up from thinking that I always want them to win at whatever they're doing. It can free me from wanting more things or it can even free me uh, from getting away from the worry about money. Following God, seeking God first is being who I am but totally belonging to God. Seeking God first is being who I am, but totally belonging to God. It's a mindset. It's being single-minded for Him. And I think it can simplify our choices uh, and the things we do in a really good and healthy way. So my kids these days communicate uh, in different ways than I do. So especially my son, who's a freshman at college, most of his communication is through Snapchat, uh, texting or Instagram, probably mostly through Snapchat, which I'm not on Snapchat, so my wife shows me when he does that. All right. But I still mostly use email. I'm just going to say I still mostly use email. And I have found this great part of my email, which I didn't discover till recently, called clutter. I really like clutter because Microsoft Outlook takes clutter and it takes things that it thinks that I might not want to read and it puts them in the clutter file. So I almost never open clutter, but I did this week. Now, there were 4,640 items in my clutter. So I opened it, and I thought, I wonder if there's any, anything here that I need. So I, I scrolled through about the first 50 of those. I didn't open maybe one or two of them. Then I went down about another 50, and I said, nope, clutter did a really good job of cleaning my email inbox for me, and so um, I don't need to read those things. And I kind of smiled. I was kind of happy about it. And I think when we seek God first, when we start to put God first, God can declutter some of our mind. God can declutter some of our choices. And we, we, we spend time on Him and on the important things about God. And some of the other things, they begin to fade away, or at least the importance of those things begin uh, to fade away. So because God loved me, as I said a minute ago, I want to love God in response and seek Him first. Now, if you're not there yet, you can start by asking him to help you get there. Um, simply say, God, help, you, help me to love you more than the world. God, help me to love you more than the world. God, help me to love you more than my kid's success, than thinking about uh, the college fund and the retirement account. God, help me to love you more than things I worry about. God, help me to love you more, and God, help me to put you first. A friend of mine told me a couple of weeks ago this quote, which I really liked about this, seeking God first and being single-minded for him. I want Jesus to be my greatest dream, not just bless my greatest dream. I want Jesus to be my greatest dream. I want to put him first, not just bless whatever my greatest dream is. I want to be single-minded for Jesus. I want my heart to turn towards him David says it this way in Psalm 37. He says, take delight in the Lord. Think about that. You know, take delight, joy, and goodness, and things. Take delight in the Lord, 
and God will give you the desires of your heart. God wants us to seek him, to take delight in him, and then he will give us the desires of our heart and then help match whatever our desires are to his desires. Del Bruner is a Christian author and speaker, and he wrote a commentary on Matthew. And on Matthew 6, he had some good quotes. Here's one of those quotes. And this could be uh, a little challenging quote, but I really like it. So I wanted you to hear it today. Jesus does not quash ambition. He elevates it. The Christian is to be ambitious, passionate, acquisitive, enterprising for the Father's approval, for the well done of God's final judgment. Thus, Jesus' ethic is not so much ascetic as it is athletic. Del Bruner is saying that we are to use our gifts, our passions, our desires, even our ambition, our acquisitions, to make change in the world so that God's kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven. Del Bruner says that God likes our passion and ambition. You know, David said that God likes our desires, but he, he doesn't want to remove them, but to help redirect them to good things, to God things. So God likes our passion and ambition. He doesn't want to remove them. He wants to redirect them to good things, to God things. I was thinking about practical ways of how to talk about this, and I was struggling a little bit, and I found one good illustration, and I want to share a couple of others which, which are closer to home. Here's one that I found this week. It was about a young concert violinist, and she was asked the secret of her success. What is the secret of your success? She replied, planned neglect, planned neglect, and then she explained, years ago, I discovered there were many things demanding my time. After getting up in the morning and having breakfast, I washed the breakfast dishes, I made my bed, I straightened my room, I dusted the furniture, and I did a host of other chores. Then I turned my attention to violin practice. That system, however, failed. I realized that I had to reverse things, so I deliberately set aside everything. I planned to neglect them. I deliberately set aside everything until my violin practice ended. That program of planned neglect accounts for my success. So for her, it was seeking what was most important in her life first, and then let everything else come in second. Again, as I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking, what does it look like, you know, for a person to be single-minded to seek God first? And I thought, I would ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and share things this morning, but I want you to, to think about do you know someone who is single-minded for God, who is seeking God first? What is that person like? What do they do? What are they doing and what do they not do? What is their attitude about the world around them? Do you know someone who is single-minded for God? So I was asking myself that question on uh, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday this week, and I came up with a couple of answers from some of you here in the ZPC family. There was a couple here in the ZPC family that over the last several years cared for someone who had a debilitating disease. And this lady, none of her family lived close by. She had difficulty having uh, caregivers. So that not only gave her rides to her doctor visits, they checked on her in the hospital very often and in her rehab facility. They even helped to get her finances in order. 
They helped her to find legal help when she needed it. And then when she couldn't live at home anymore, they helped her to sell her house. They were there the day that she passed away, and they even helped to plan her funeral and make her family from out of town feel welcome. They weren't family, but she thought of them like a second mother and father. They were seeking God first and how they cared for her. I thought of the lady here at ZPC who felt that God had told her to care for widows and widowers and for orphans, as we read in James 1. If you read near the end of James 1, it says we are to care for widows and orphans. And so over the years, along with her family, I know that she helped two single fathers who were raising children on their own. She became friends, really good friends, with a widowed mom who was raising three teenagers. So much of a friend that the mom would say, I don't have a husband to think about how to parent my kids, but I can talk to you. And that came out of seeking God first and what God would have her to do. I thought of this week, members of our church, you who tirelessly work advocating for children who don't have families and advocating, advocating for families who don't, fi- who don't have homes. So these families, these, uh, these children can find families and people who don't have homes can begin to have houses. Now, are all these people that I thought about, are they perfect? Do they always put God first? No, of course not. They don't. They're just like us as well. But I do know they have a sense about them to use their gifts, their abilities, whether it's hammering a nail to build a house or to handle finances or administration or to place people together in need who have gifts and abilities. They can use their gifts, their passions for God. Now, when I hear stories like this, and I even read some other stories as I was looking for this, I said, those won't work because those people are so out there, they're so holy that I can't even relate to them. And so we might say, you know, I can't be like that. I can't do great things for God. But you can do one thing. You can take one step. You can take one step at a time, and I can too. My guess is that most of these people, and I know some of them because they're here at ZPC, is that they weren't single-minded every day and that they didn't do it all at once, that they took one step and then they took another step and then they took another step and God began to work in their lives to make something beautiful out of all the steps that they were taking. So how do we be single-minded? How do we break this down so that we can be seeking God first and seeking God with all our heart and be single-minded? I think two things. Number one, Seek God first, and that means start each day with God. And number two, seek God with all your heart. And I'll call that be riveted on Jesus. Be riveted on Jesus. So first, start each day with God. A pastor friend of mine says that he had a hard time waking up in the morning, and sometimes he would think, good gracious, it's morning. It's another day. Instead, he said he started to pray, good morning, God. When he woke up, he got awake enough to think about it and get his mind in order to say, good morning, God. And he would begin to say, God, this is your day. I give it to you. And I've taken that on as a, a practice of my own life. I don't say the same thing every day. I don't say the same sentence every day. But almost every day, I say something like, God, this is your day. I give it to you. God, I praise you for giving me another day of life. Help me today to just use it however you want me to use it. Some days when I really get going and I'm awake, I'll then start praying and thinking about what's happening that day, what's on my schedule, what God might bring my way and asking for God's help. And I will tell you, there's other days 
when I get going fast and we're getting kids off to school and I'm checking the sports scores on Mike and Mike, I'm hearing what they have to say about what happened in the sports world, and I forget. And so then when I remember, maybe an hour or two later, I'll say, God, I forgot this morning, but now I want to give you the rest of my day. God, I want whatever I've got going today, I want to give it to you. Help me, O Lord, to use it for you. And as Jerry said last week, I've been trying to pray to set aside um, time to be alone with God, to be still and be quiet before God. And I know in my life, and I know Jerry said sometimes it's hard for him, uh, it's been difficult, but I'm trying and listening to God by being quiet with him. I went to a one-day seminar on Friday with our youth staff, John and Calvin, and our intern to youth, Paige Lamb. And we went to the seminar to hear about growing young, being a church that was growing young instead of, of growing old. It meant prioritizing and spending time with our youth and young adults. And they talked about several ways that healthy churches who are growing young, how they're doing this. And one was to be focused on Jesus. And they, they did lots and lots of surveys, lots of research. <clears throat> and they found, uh, they got a lot of quotes from people uh, as they did all this research about Jesus and taking Jesus seriously. Here's a couple of the quotes that they had, we heard on Friday. First, it's not Christianity that brings good news. It's Jesus. And what they meant by that, it's not religion. It's about Jesus. Another quote that they heard was, Jesus is compelling. Other things might not be compelling, but Jesus and his story is compelling. And then someone else said, be riveted on Jesus. Now, we too at ZPC, we are a church, I believe, that thinks Jesus is compelling. And so we want you to, to think about, start each day with God. God, I want to give you this day. Uh, this is yours. And then we want you to think about how can I be riveted, be focused on Jesus. So we have a plan in mind. It's the Lenten reading plan, and you've either gotten this handed out to you either uh, last Sunday or this Sunday. We're going to have it at Ash Wednesday on this Wednesday. Um, it's something I'm inviting you to do with me. I'm going to be doing it. I'm really excited about it. What it is is reading all four Gospels over the time of Lent, which is March 1st, to April 16th. You might say, all four Gospels? How do I do that? It's about two or three chapters a day. Each chapter in the Gospels is about one page. It's doable. You can do it. Why do we want to do that? Because the Gospels are Jesus' story, the story of his life and his death and his resurrection. As we prepare for Easter, we can get into Jesus' story, learn more about him, or learn about him again, and be focused on him we're going to have a couple of ways you can do this, interact with it. We're going to have a weekly blog on the ZPC website. We're going to post some uh, sayings or quotes on Facebook. And if you want to meet face-to-face, -face, I'm going to be this Thursday and Sunday and then the following weeks at noon on Thursdays in the chapel or at 8 a.m. Uh, in the chapel on Sundays. And I'll meet with you for 20 to 30 minutes to talk about what have you been reading this week? What have you been reading in the Gospel of Matthew? So this week... Try one day to be single-minded, one day, then one day more, then one more. And when you fail, as I do, uh, try again to be single-minded for God. Good morning, God. I give this day to you. Use your mind, your single mind, to worship God, to pray to God, to listen to God, and to learn about God through his word, through the gospels. Let us pray. Well, Son of God, we give you thanks for everything that you have given to us. We give you this day 
and we pray that we give it back to you. God, help us to use all the gifts we have, even our ambitions, our abilities, um, our, our generosity, everything that we have to bring worship and praise to you so that we can be more single-minded for you. Uh, we lift up all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.